Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1. And this is the prophet Ezekiel speaking. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. And I have done it, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take a stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Judah and the Israelites associated with him. Then take another stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Joseph, that is to Ephraim, and all the Israelites associated with him. Join them together into one stick, so that they will become one in your hand. And when your people ask you, won't you tell us what you mean by this, say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am going to take the stick of Joseph 
which is in Ephraim's hand, and of the Israelite tribes associated with him, and join it to Judah's stick. I will make them into a single stick of wood, and they will become one in my hand. Hold before their eyes the sticks you have written on and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they've gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them and there will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses. For I will save them from all their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good, well, Elliot is going to come and open up these scriptures to us. Uh, But I thought just before he does that, um, it would be lovely for us to just hear a little bit of his own story and his own testimony. Now, in typically self-effacing style, and it's like, well, I, just, I, you know, I don't want to say too much about myself. And, um, uh, and that's fine, Elliot, but you have a wonderful testimony. So I wonder, just as we, as we start, you know, some of us on the ministry team, we've had a bit of a chance to get to know you and hear a bit about it. How did you actually come to faith? Uh, so I grew up in a family that wasn't a Christian, wasn't, uh, we didn't go to church or anything. And uh, I went to church in primary school. So I think from primary school, I was sort of open to the idea that God might exist, but that didn't come from my home in any way. And I'd never really been to church apart from maybe with scouts or something like that, or with the school. But then in year seven, it is more secular secondary school, we got given these uh, Gideon's Bibles. And I wasn't really that into reading, especially books about pictures at that point. Um, but I somehow started to read. I think it was actually initially out of out of fear. I think I was fearful of death and what happened and would, would God accept me and that sort of thing. And I started reading it, it quite ritualistically, I would say, to start with. And I was like, I need to read it in order to get favor with God. And by reading it sort of quite like obsessively, I would say, for a few years, it, I didn't really understand lots of the words in it. I didn't understand anything like about salvation, really. I didn't go to church. Um, but I saw that it said about baptism in there. And it seemed to say that baptism, I, I think I, I thought I knew what that was, and uh, it felt like that's something you needed to, to do. And so then I thought, I'm going to pluck up the courage to ask my parents, oh, could, I, could I get baptized? And so we got back in touch with the only person that I really knew about in the church, which was the, the little village church in my primary school. And then went there for, um, when I was 16 now, and got baptized. Didn't really understand what baptism was. But then I started going to church on each Sunday. I felt like that was the right thing to do. And then through that, God started connecting me with more people. I started going to the Christian Union at school. Heard the idea, of, the idea that God doesn't accept us by works, but by faith, which was an absolute revelation to me. You cannot even believe. I had the idea that you had to be perfect to be accepted by God, and I was tormented by that idea. And the idea that it's because we believe and have faith in Jesus, that was incredibly freeing. It was absolutely amazing, 17, 18. And then after praying... Uh, I got into worship and experiencing God in a real, like, heartfelt way uh, when I was, went to study theology. And I was really praying to have a feeling of love for God because I heard people say, I love Jesus, but didn't really feel that. So I prayed, God, please give me love for Jesus. And then one night, in a, watching a live stream of a worship event, 
about like sort of three in the morning. Um, God gave me that, that, the first sense that everything in the world that is good, everything in the world points to the goodness of God. And I thought, wow, God is the one who is the infinity of everything good in the whole world. And I was like, I, can feel, I feel love towards God. And I'd say that somewhere along that journey is when I became a Christian. It was sort of a gradual process. Right, okay, listen, there's so much here. By the way, Elliot is like a total night owl. So when we went on our ministry time away, I came down in the middle of the night, and he, he would be downstairs just listening to, with his massive headphones on, just listening to worship music and probably like writing the next terms, you know, preaches and so forth. This man is amazing. You're a spiritual giant, Elliot. At one stage, you, you were going to be a doctor, is that true? You were thinking I, about I mean, it. I mean, I wasn't that far along, but, but yeah, I wanted yeah. to be a doctor since I was little. Okay, now um, we, we love you greatly. We think you've picked really well. Uh, uh, <laughs> you, well I you, think God picked. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, so, uh, you know, just a little bit further down the line, you, you chose to follow the calling into, into Christian ministry. Just tell us very briefly, what, what was it that tipped you uh, into that decision? And yeah. Yes, yeah, so I wanted to be a doctor when I was growing up. And uh, uh, didn't get any offers. Really academic, but I wasn't very good at interviews or anything like that. So I didn't get any offers. Um, and then put, I, I started to be interested in theology, maybe. And I felt like there was something there that was really interesting. So I put that as a fifth choice in my UCAS form. And then actually, by the time I went, went to the open day at Cliff College, it was, I felt like this is the place that's there. There's people who actually really love God in a way that I'd never, and open about him in a way that I'd never seen before. And it was amazing. And I was like, I want to go there. And I didn't really want to do medicine anymore at that point. And then, so I went there, didn't know what I was going to do next. They really was not into the idea of mission or anything like that. I think I wanted to do something academic. And then, um, then through doing more things, there, I was like, oh, maybe the idea of speaking or maybe the idea of mission isn't so bad after all. But I'm definitely not interested in youth or children, not interested at all. <laughs> I was really like not up for that at all. But then started to have a few goes at that, and I was like, oh, there's, God's really doing something in these different... It was through, like, the events, a bit like sort of mini Soul Survivor-style events that I first did that. And from there, I was like, oh, maybe something missional-related, but then left university, and then, you know, you don't really go to anything sometimes from these degrees. They don't really lead to anything, so you have to sort of think about, oh, what am I going to do next? So then I briefly worked in um, web design and social media stuff, um, thanks to Nomi's dad, which is very kind of him to give me that... <laughs> And then did that for about like it. But during this time, some people had suggested to me, oh, would you consider, it was actually Nomi's family actually originally suggested this, would you consider the idea of ministry in the Church of England? And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound very good. And I was really not into the Church of England because I was like, oh, the Church of England's got all sorts of rules and stuff. And then, and then I started exploring it more and I was like, oh, it's a bit more flexible than, than I maybe thought. And there's a bit more openness to possibility than I thought. And then felt more like these promptings, they, they became more my promptings as well, and they felt like that's what I felt a desire to do anyway, and other people were saying it. And I was like, oh, God, lead me this way, um, it seems. And always very, I'm very bad at knowing what God's will is, basically. But it felt like the desire and the promptings were there, and then went through the process of vocation and stuff like that. Um, and it was, it was a bit, again, it was quite a gradual process, I'd say, yeah. Elliot, it's wonderful to hear how the Lord has worked uh, in your life. And um, you have been just going full bore all this weekend. And now you're here uh, preaching to us as well. He's been all weekend with the young people. Should we just thank Elliot for the effort that he's put in and sharing? 
All right. Well, um, just before I, I hand over to Elliot, let's, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, our brother Elliot and just for the amazing uh, power, your power at work in his life, the way that you've drawn him to you, the way that you've drawn him here as well, and the way that we've been blessed here. And we know many others will be blessed by him and his ministry in the future. Lord, we pray that as he opens the scriptures to us, you would give us uh, hearts that are willing to hear, uh, to listen what you have to say to us. And we pray that you would bind us together and move us forward through your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, can I have that? Thank you. <laughs> He's stealing the Bible. <laughs> well, um, well, that was a bit embarrassing, but... Um, so the, so, but, I, but given, given that we gave a clap to, to me for doing the CYE stuff, if you, like to, if you were involved with the CYE, put your stand, hand up here, a few people. Over there we've got Jerry and Emma, Sheridan, Luke and Rebecca, and Rachel, and oh, Barry, okay, thanks for praying for us, Barry, that's great. And we've, we've also had Rachel and Emma made that amazing video we watched earlier as well. Let's give a round of applause to all those people too. Thank, thank you so much. It was, and to all the other leaders who might be watching, that is it was absolutely amazing to be part of that. So, let's go to the first slide. Today we're continuing about revival, which is one of my favorite topics, because it feels like there's this possibility for God to do so much more than I've ever seen in my life. So, this is what we were going for last week. What is revival? And I did try to get it for a little definition. Revival is the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, poured out like life-giving water on the thirsty soul, so where there is thirst and where there is dryness, God's Holy Spirit is poured out in massive abundance on individuals and on whole communities and on great multitudes and brings life. And there's so many examples, there's literally countless examples in history and in the present day where God is doing that. We may not have tasted it ourselves in our own experience, but it is historically verifiable that that has happened multiple times throughout history. And uh, there's a few of those last week, but there was literally just only a handful. There's so many more, and I'd really invite you to explore those. Today, we're thinking about changing hearts for revivals. So the way that God, when he sends the Holy Spirit, can change our heart radically. And trying to get, see if, we can, see if I can whet your appetite for a desire to see this change in heart. And maybe start praying for it and longing for it. And so I thought Ezekiel 37 is an amazing passage for this because it's so visual and so dramatic. And so, if you go next slide, this is the valley of the dry bones. When hope is dead, what do we do when all hope is dead? So if you hear those verses one to three, the hand of the Lord is upon me, Ezekiel, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. There was no life there. He led me to and fro among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. What do we do when hope is dead? What do we do when there is only death all around us? What do we do when right in front of us we see only skeletons? We're thinking of human skeletons here. It's like a grotesque picture, really. What do we do when we see that? Next slide. Well, what, we don't, what we don't do, we're going back to this again, we don't simply organize a revival. Imagine if you had a valley full of skeletons and you were like, said to them, I'm going to organize a great event at the church. Let, come along to it 
and let's see if we can give you some life. Let's organize you all into this amazing, let's organize you all into life. It would be absolutely ridiculous. And that's the idea here. You can't organize this. It's not something we're going to do by human organization. Next one. And the reason for that is because they are very dry, to quote the passage. It doesn't say just dry, but very dry. And when we have dryness, we see things crumble. We see things disintegrate. The bones were originally all attached to each other because they were parts of bodies. But in this dry valley, everything has fallen apart. That's a picture of what happens to the church in times of dryness. What happens to the whole world in times of dryness. It falls apart. It divides into every possible single category it could possibly divide into. It splits up. It just, everyone falls out with each other. Everyone becomes completely isolated individuals. This, this person falls out with this person, falls out with this person. This, this group falls out with this group. It causes total disintegration. A picture of this is later in the passage, which is why we included the later part, where Ezekiel is told to get two sticks. Now, you have to imagine that Israel and Judah, originally one stick, is all one family of the Israelites. And there was this terrible event in their history, after David's reign, after Solomon's reign, where largely due to things like politics and ego, sounds quite familiar, something like this happened. <laughs> it, it broke in two. There was the Israel and the Judah. And, and in this prophecy, this is literally what Ezekiel was told to do. He was told to take these two sticks. They are a divided kingdom. It was split apart. That's what happens when dryness comes, when sticks are dry. They break apart. They fall apart. When, and secondly, when sticks break apart, when there is disintegration, where there is dryness, there is death. Because when, when life source breaks up, if you break a tree down, if it blows down, its trunk snaps, it can't live anymore. It's broken off from the source of life. When we see dryness, we see death, and we see terrible disintegration. However, that question there, can these bones live, was not just a question that was rhetorical. It was a question that has a real answer. And that's next. It's the spirit of irresistible hope. The spirit of hope that cannot be resisted. The spirit of hope that can work even in the driest of places. Here's verses 4 to 5. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. This is the breath of God. The word breath in Hebrew is the same as the word for spirit. This is the spirit of God working. God is the God of resurrection. That's what we see in Jesus so clearly. We've been celebrating Easter all this time. The whole idea is life out of absolute death, out of these valleys full of skeletons. The spirit of God can bring life and nothing can resist this. So next slide. What the spirit of God does is bring these bones together. They're all broken up all over the place. There's no function in them. They just, there's nothing between them. They're just literally all over the ground. And that's because there's nothing attaching them together. 
But the Spirit of God says, I, I will attach tendons to you, make flesh come upon you, cover you with skin. It will attach them all together. It will bring the fragmented parts of the church, the fragmented parts of Israel, all together, back into whole bodies. And not just individuals, but whole communities. God's Holy Spirit will, in a way that's much better than this tape, but we use tape for now. So Ezekiel is told to get the two sticks and attach them together using the equivalent of ancient tape, whatever that might be. Probably rope, actually. Something like this, much more effective than this. So, attach them together like this, saying that I will make you from two people, from a divided people, into one people. This is a literal image. This is not an image that I made up. This it sounds like the sort of thing that I'd like to do anyway. But this is a real image. This is in the Bible. He'll make the two kingdoms, the whole community, so we have both individual unity and community unity. The whole nation divided into two groups. Does that sound familiar? We're divided into these, these parties, these teams, these nations, these factions, and it says, I'll bring you together like this. When God's spirit moves, even in the worst of disintegration and dryness, he brings us together. He unites us in ways that we would never, ever imagine. And then, next one, he brings us from this deadly dehydration to blooming life. Now, when we are brought together, it means that finally we are made one again. And it says in verses 9 to 10, Then he said to me, this is after they come together, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, or spirit, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath. And breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded. And breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet. A vast army. That is what the Spirit of God does. He takes the absolute, utterly worst possible circumstances. That's what's been described here in this Valley of Bones. Human bones all over the place. Absolute worst possible circumstances. He takes the very worst and he makes it into true life. He brings it together. He makes it one. He breathes life into it. He makes it like this desert. This is the same desert taken twice. When the water is poured on it, when the Spirit of God is poured on it, it makes it bloom into life. That's an image used in the scripture all the time. Bringing the desert into life. Next slide. Now, one example, just as an illustration of this, is here's Hiroshima. And, so I'm probably saying that wrong, sorry. So this is... So in 1945, the nuclear explosion completely demolished everything. However, this one building was left sort of standing. And now we see that's been preserved as the peace memorial there. And we see life growing all, about, all around it. The very land that was absolutely destroyed by a devastating nuclear explosion, by the worst force that has ever been unleashed in war by humankind, has been utterly... And then life is brought out of that. That's just a little bit of an image of what we have here. The absolute worst of circumstances turned into life beyond anything that we could have ever imagined. Next slide. Now, what is the means of this? How can this happen? Because we might be like, oh, that sounds really good. Maybe you already thought, oh, that's not exactly that surprising. Oh, yeah, God can do infinite things. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
But how do we actually tap into that? We might feel like that isn't something that connects with us. Now, here's the image I thought would be good for this, flowing with his promise to us. Now, if we go to verse 4, back to verse 4, it's God saying to Ezekiel, Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, what is very interesting about this verse is that, and this is, this is, just, this is just interesting to think about it. In Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. He didn't say to anyone else to say that. Here, he says to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones. Why didn't God just say it himself? No, he chose to use a human means. He chose to put the promise, to put the word of God in the mouth of the prophet. He chose to use a human means. And that's how God likes to work. I think he likes to do that because it shows just how glorious he is that he can bring out of really broken people something that is absolutely wondrous. God chooses to work through Ezekiel. He chooses to let Ezekiel flow with this promise to bring life. Next slide. Here's a a quote I love from Alexander McLaren, who is this Bible expositor. And the prayer that prevails is a reflected promise. So that's like the idea that we read a promise in the Bible that we know is true, that God wants to do. Something like, uh, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And then we pray with that. We use that as a prayer and we reflect it back to God. And we say, God, you said this in your word. Do as you have promised. That's what David said when he was praying. He said, do as you have promised. Bring about these things. You can think of it like the promise comes down from God in his word and the prayer goes to God. The promise is like the thing that comes to us and that initiates us to have faith that God does want to do this. this. You know, sometimes we pray and we feel, I definitely feel, we're just speaking into the air. We're just saying stuff and we have no idea whether it's making any difference whatsoever. But when we have a promise, we see it in his word and we say, God, do as you have promised. We know this is what you want. We know this is your will. Praying into his promises is very, very powerful. Next slide. And the promise I thought we could pray into is the promise that so clearly covers our time now. This is at Pentecost, quoting Joel 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That is a promise that said very specifically is for now, the last days. That was at Pentecost. That's also now. It goes all the way to this present day. This is a promise that is said so, so clearly to be for us today. It says, this is what God says to us today. We can know that for certain. I will pour out my spirit on all people. That says all people. God wants to do it for all the people in the entire world. All of us here, all the people we know, all the people in the United Kingdom, all the people in every nation across the the whole globe, and all the people in the International Space Station too, and everywhere, all over the place. That is the promise he gives us. That's what we reflect back to him in prayer. Now, I wanted to use a few, just two little illustrations of this to finish off. Now, next slide. Here is a picture that I really love uh, because it's just so profound on so many levels. And this is June 5th, 1989 in Beijing. So maybe we feel, as I was saying a minute ago, that our prayer is too weak. We don't know how to pray. We don't know how our words will ever be right. This is the thing I constantly wrestle with. I think there's all these promises about prayer. There's all these promises of God. There's all the power of God. But I don't access that because my prayers are too... I just don't know what to say. I'm not interested enough in them. I'm not, I don't have the heart for them. And so I feel like this isn't, surely this isn't for me. 
But God loves to use weakness. He loves to work through people who don't think they can be used. So this person, you can see right at the bottom here, if you go to the next slide for a zoom in, just there, this person chose to stand up for the injustice that was happening in China at this point by standing in the way of this massive line of tanks. Just go back to the previous one just quickly. The tank light was going beyond the eye can see. And they, they of course, could, they could have just driven over him. And he stood there and stood up to them. And they, did, they didn't. They stopped. They stopped there. And what is amazing about that is just this one person who doesn't have any strength in themselves somehow symbolically had all this power. That's the sort of thing God loves to do. He loves to work through weakness, through people who never think their prayers are going to be answered, to do amazing and wonderful things. That gives us all courage. Now, one final example. Last week, I was talking about examples of God working through his spirit throughout history, because that is the thing that really inspired me to pursue revival and long for it. It was when I read those books by uh, Pete Gregg, on the 24-7 prayer movement, they're full of examples of God moving. I would definitely recommend, if, if you doubt whether God can move in the world today, I would definitely recommend those on Red Moon Rising and Dirty Glory. They are absolutely, they really inspire me. God can do this kind of thing. And when I first heard about stories of revival, I was like, God can do so much more than I have experienced. The thing that's so difficult about this is it's often not our own experience. So we just can't, we can't enter into something that's so outside of that. But God has really done it. There's a few examples last week, and this time I'm going to give one final example. As a re- this is what I, f- I first read this in one of Pete Gregg's books, and I was absolutely amazed by it. Now, so in the 80s, there was an amazing prayer movement that happened in communist East Germany. There was this pastor in Leipzig who began what was called peace prayers. And he, wanted, he was praying for peace. There was this, there was effectively World War II, had, the scars of World War II had left this incredible division down in the middle of Germany. In 1980, he started them. On 20th of September 1982, he began making them every Monday. And this is the church he did it in, the Nikolai Church in Leipzig. Uh, he started doing it every Monday, praying for peace. He was absolutely adamant there could not be violence. We were not going to have a violent uprising against against communism, against Soviet Russia, anything like that, we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to do this. We're going to trust that he can do more than we can imagine. Now, I was talking to someone earlier about, I imagine if you were living at that point in the 80s, the early 80s, you'd, you'd, or maybe you'd always lived in a time when Germany had been divided. Maybe, like lots of nations that are divided now, you could have never, ever, ever imagined that would ever going to stop. It maybe seemed like communism was a thing that just was going to be there forever, absolutely immovable, an iron curtain that can never be passed. That's probably what people felt like. But he said, no, I believe that God can do more than this. I believe that God can bring peace. I believe that God can bring down this. So next slide. What, what one of the um, officials, I think possibly in the, the police in East Germany at that point, said is they were prepared for everything. They were prepared for an armed uprising because they sort of expected that but they were not prepared for candles and prayers. And so thousands and thousands of people, next one, thousands and thousands and thousands of people started joining these demonstrations. And the prayer meetings grew and grew and grew in the church, and they became this amazing protest movement. But it was entirely, it was non-violent. That was a huge part of it, like the civil rights movement in America. 
So by late 89, we're talking about 70,000 people were part of these protest movements in East Germany, in Leipzig. And maybe I could imagine being there at this time, and I'd be like, this looks good. You've probably seen protests, and you're like, this looks really good, but nothing's going to happen. It's just going to stay the same. No one's going to listen to it. No, nothing's going to ever change. That's probably what some of these people felt. But someone felt like, no, I'm going to believe that God is going to do more than I ever thought he was going to. And it's good that they thought that, because the next, next one, 1989 has now been known as the Year of Miracles. That's what it's, that's what it's called. I can't remember the German for it, but that's what it's called in German. And it's called the Year of Miracles, because it was a miracle what happened next. There was these prayers, there was these movements of protests, and then something happened that no one ever thought could happen. Due to all sorts of various crazy political coincidences, this happened on, yeah, the, what's the right date here? The 9th of November, 1989, in what was then called the Peaceful Revolution. The Berlin Wall fell. The Soviet Union seemed to just crumble away. There was no war. There was no armed uprising. This was the power of God demonstrated, and the Berlin Wall fell. There was this movement between the countries, finally. God went, took disintegration in a very visceral and terrible sense. Just like with these two sticks, they had like the East and the West Germany, brought them together. He took the disintegration, he brought it into oneness. No one could have imagined the Berlin Wall was going to fall, and with such suddenness, and with such lack of violence. Next one. And then you had these wonderful scenes. I think, I, I mean, I, I sort of see that, and I, I wasn't even around at that time, and I feel like mesmerized by this. People stood on it, holding hands, celebrating that this symbol of division that had haunted them for all these years was finally brought down. Now, not all of them would have known about the movement of prayer that happened, but it was those nine years of prayer going up to that that coincidentally seemed to coincide with this amazing change. And... So why I I wanted to share that is that God can do wonders. He can break down walls and divisions between us that we never thought could ever be broken down. No one thought the Berlin Wall could fall. No one thinks divisions can ever be healed. They seem like they're going to be there forever. But God can break anything down. Okay, next one. Now I'm going to invite the band up now. And as a response to this, I'd love us to pray into these promises. Let's pray into this promise. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Let's say to God, God, you promised this. You promised that you pour out your spirit on all people. That includes us here. That includes Croydon. That includes London. That includes our nation. That includes the nations around the world. Lord, we don't see that now. We see only at the moment this valley of dry skeletons. Lord, we know that you can do this. We know that you have promised to do this in your word. Do as you have promised. Take disintegration. Take division. Bring it together. Bring it together in unity. Break down these walls that we never think will be able to fall. Give life where there is only death. Those are the sort of prayers I'd love us to pray. So what would be great now is what we're going to do is we're going to have a time to wait on God's spirit like we did last week. We're going to remain seated for this bit. And we're going to have a few moments of reflection to begin. I invite you to pray into that. God, do as you have promised. Pour out your spirit. Then we're going to have two songs to reflect on this 
more. And I'd love, to, I'd love you to use those songs as a time to pray to the Lord, God, send your spirit. Do as you have promised. Make us one. Bring life where there is only death. So now let's wait for a minute or so. Let's wait and pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.